Hi, I'm Maytal, and welcome to Heal With It, a podcast about healing in its many and sometimes unexpected forms. Several months ago, my co-producer on this podcast, Camille, sent me a text with a link and a message attached. She wrote, you have to look at this now. When I clicked on the link she sent me, it took me to a news segment about an app called Philly Truce. Immediately, I was blown away. The app was developed by two ambitious men living in Philadelphia. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hey guys, my name is Mazi Kashir. I am a recording artist, a storyteller, and the co-creator of the Philly Truce app. Hey everyone, my name is Steven Pickens. I'm a firefighter and a co-creator of the Philly Truce app. Steven and Mazie have known each other since high school, which, if you do the math, means that they have known each other for over three decades. Growing up together in Philly, they witnessed an epidemic of gun violence plague their communities. For so long, this felt like a fact of reality for them, like this static characteristic over which they had no power to control. But in October 2020, something shifted, and the two of them decided it was time to create change. And so that's how their relationship evolved from not only a friendship, but into a business partnership. And together, they created the Philly Truce app. At its core, their app is meant to work as a tool of healing for the gun violence epidemic in Philly. The app offers an innovative and accessible way to heal and mediate conflict. It's clever, it's out of the box, and it's a model for a program that can expand far beyond the city lines of Philadelphia. In today's conversation, I got to learn not only how this app works, but how Stephen and Mazie have come to see the world and how they've both come to understand what it means to heal. I learned so much from our conversation today, and I hope you do too. So let's dive in. So let's get started today with probably... The most obvious and most important question. What is the Philly Truce app for those listening and who don't know about it or don't know what it is? The Philly Truce app puts Philadelphians with knowledge of potentially violent conflicts in contact with trained mediators 24-7. And when we say people with knowledge of potentially violent conflicts, that's key because right now in Philadelphia, we're living through a gun violence epidemic of I mean, huge proportions, historic proportions, actually. And so when we say if you have knowledge of a potentially violent conflict, we mean community members, neighbors, relatives, most importantly, of people who you know are in situations that could very well end in gun violence. We're asking and encouraging those members of those families and communities to push the get help button. And when they push the get help button, they'll be asked a very few questions. Name, email address is optional, phone number, 
and you know the nature of why you're calling in a, a very brief summary after that they can send the chat over a mediator will get in on the other end and uh, reach back out to them either via text or you can also call from within the app but mostly we are training to uh, respond with a text first hey are you safe can you talk can we call you and then it goes from there the process of assessing whether or not we can intervene and what that might look like or if we need to refer out to uh, other wraparound services so that's initially how the app works if it's also a police case we would treat it as such we would just let you know that we're, we're not able to handle that call do you think it could be a good alternative though to involving police given some of the history with police involvement absolutely i mean we we designed it with the thought in mind that we as the community need to help ourselves so we encourage the community to call for help and to be the help we had a call to action for volunteer mediators we had over 150 people register went through a training Uh, we ended up through attrition with a smaller number but the response was powerful And now we have a core team of about 20, 25 trained mediators who are trained by four gentlemen with, you know, well over 100 years experience of uh, conflict resolution mediation, including two very grassroots gentlemen who, who do street level, gang level conflict mediations regularly. It's so powerful when people who are actually involved and within the community are the people who get involved rather than bringing out outside figures to manage something. Yeah, well, we thought that for several reasons. I mean, deterrents that are in place have always been in place. The efforts that have, have, have been initiated, you know, whether it's stop and frisk or, you know, more the whole law and order rhetoric or building more prisons and stricter laws. And I mean, you know, none of those things are real deterrents for whatever reasons. And the reasons are probably many. But we just felt like those are more or less intellectual deterrents. A person may know if I do this, this could happen. But, you know, most decisions are made emotionally and you know, a lot of times in these situations and these families and these ongoing uh, rivalries that last throughout generations. And, you know, sometimes these people don't even know why they're beefing with the people from two or three blocks away. These are all emotional decisions, right? The community has the ability to offer emotional deterrence, if you will, right? Because we know these people, we love these people. I think the only thing between us taking action and us not having taken action for so long is just that we become apathetic, we become numb, and we've kind of accepted the narrative that this is the way it is in the city, this is the way it is between, you know, black and brown people, poor people and the police, and, you know, all of these old, stale, funky American narratives that are starting to be challenged you know, just like with the Me Too movement. And, you know, we see we see different things pop up every couple of years. And, um, you know, now that the Asian-American story is coming to the forefront, it's like all of these things have to be evaluated 
for the narrative power they hold to keep certain relationships in certain dynamics. And then once we can really honestly look at that and acknowledge that that's what's been happening, then we can start to collectively write new narratives. And, you know, like I said in the beginning, I'm a storyteller. You know, I write songs, I write plays, I write movies. For me, this whole Philly Truce campaign, every ad that I wrote, every press release, every bit of word and verbiage that represented what the Philly Truce app is, has been about creating a different narrative in our communities. And the most summary way that that we can put it is we have to ask for the help and we have to be the help. And so that's the story that Philly Truce is writing into the history of Philadelphia is that we are not weak for asking for help. We are strong and intelligent and we are capable of helping ourselves. We don't have to become bystanders or be relegated to be bystanders in resolving the the issues that we live through on a day-to-day basis. So it's really a community empowerment play for us is really about writing a new narrative, right? Because we could have any kind of reputation we choose as Philadelphia, you know, I mean, for decades and probably centuries, we've had the ironic reputation of being uh, the city of brotherly love, which is actually quite cold and harsh and standoffish. We feel like we can certainly write a new story. And that, and that's what we're envisioning, you know, a truce culture, actually. So powerfully said. Where do you imagine things going? I mean, this app takes off. It's used heavily within the communities. In five, ten years from now, what is the vision you're hoping to see? You know, for us, it's like make this structurally enmeshed and ingrained into the the fiber and the culture of Philadelphia, right? So for us, we have programs and touches for, you know, the school district, the prison system, other uh, NGOs and, and service providers, city agencies. So our vision is that we can present Philadelphia in two years time as a model for this type of community-led policy making really because that's another thing that we're advocating for as you know we when we talk to politicians we really stress that look you should be funding what we think is a good idea right essentially you work for us right we put you there a politician shouldn't necessarily even need to have their own opinion, right? You should be a, a mouthpiece and a voice for, for what we're telling you we need. And we're really stressing that community-sourced solutions are the way to go, and those are the things that's going to make a difference. So when you talk about, you know, five years down the line when there's a Chi-Town Truce and a, an Orlando Truce and a Detroit Truce and a St. Louis Truce. These are the type of differences we would like to see. Community-sourced, government-enforced, corporate-endorsed solutions. 
you know, because right now the money flows from the top, hollows out the government, and there's everybody else's suffers from the externalization. And this is where we've gotten. Look at where we're at, right? Only thing that stopped uh, mass shootings was the pandemic, right? Pandemic's over. Here come the mass shootings. I mean, we put up with sick things in this country. Like, we put up with very sick, sick behavior on all levels of society. And the people with the foot on their neck really know what it feels like. And so the solutions have to come from the bottom. And that's our vision for fanning this way of thinking out. We see truce as a national movement, community empowerment, and really bringing the political structure to support the initiatives and the uh, narratives that the community wants to write for themselves. So that's kind of the vision, at least as the way I see it. It's like you didn't just make an app. You're starting a revolution, a paradigm shift. And one that I think is so important because, as you said so powerfully, So often policies get made by people at this top level that have no skin in the game, that aren't involved in the communities themselves, that don't feel the negative effects or the positive effects of those policies. We also like to say we have been receiving some support, even on a national level, with the policies and voting for the South Carolina loophole or, you know, common sense gun laws from Congressman Dwight Evans as well. He's a a very big supporter of this Philly Truce movement because he's also a native Philadelphian. So, you know, it's affecting not only us, but it's it's affecting politicians that live within the city limits. Such an important point. And it's cool to see so many people involved, excited behind your vision and your mission. I feel like it's a very good sign for things. My question is, how did y'all come together to do this? What's the story behind that? Mazia and I met at William Penn High School in Philadelphia. I think we we met maybe in the ninth or tenth grade, but over the course of those years, we developed a close friendship even after high school. We were roommates for a while, you know, in between um deciding <laughs> exactly what it is we wanted to do with ourselves <laughs> in life. And Mazee was very, uh, very generous in uh, taking me in. Not that I was homeless or anything, but we were really close. We reconnected after, you know, so many years. Life takes us our different ways, but we reconnected at a former classmate's grand opening of his um, barbershop. And on that weekend, there was a shooting in the West Philadelphia section of the city. And it caught my attention. Actually, one of my work colleagues was giving me the information on it as I was driving to the grand opening. And I didn't see it on the news. I didn't hear anything about it. He just told me about it. So this was a week after the Walter Wallace shooting. That was the last police shooting in Philadelphia that occurred. So I just approached the whole celebration just feeling like we have to 
fill the void for those that had been doing this for a number of years, but we're old enough now to fill that void in terms of what should we do next? Where will we go from here? Because if we can't carry that mantle, then we're in a very um, devastating period now. So I could only imagine where we would be if, you know, everyone kind of just sit back and watch the news and say, oh, that's that's a shame and kind of like put the for sale signs up and just go into a different reality. So that's when, you know, I talked to a few people that day about this, like, what are we going to do? And then my good friend Mazik comes along, which I didn't expect for him to be there. And he asked me, do you want to do something about it? I said, we didn't know what we were going to do. And he said, yes, let's, um, he said, if you're ready, then okay, let's do something about it. Then we said, okay, well, let's talk tomorrow. And then through talks, we came up with, the idea of having the credible messengers in the community through a telephone call to try to mediate. And then through more talks, Mazee came up with an idea and asked me, uh, well, do you want to do an act? And I'm like, that's even better. So that's what, where, where we arrived today with uh, the Philly Truths app. You know, what's, what's interesting, Mazee, you said something earlier about wanting to break through the cycle of apathy mm-hmm. and how, People kind of see how things are, get used to it, and in a way, give up. And you two broke through that. You two saw each other and said, we need to do something here. What do you think it was that allowed each of you to break through that apathy, which, you know, could be synonymous with exhaustion, burnout, trauma? That's a great question. And I think both of us seeing our classmate kind of step into that very adult shopkeeper pillar of the community kind of status. He's at the ribbon cutting with his wife. And, you know, this is a guy we've seen grow up and struggle and, you know, go through his own real major challenges. And I think it struck us both that it's just time for us to be responsible You know, I think what may have spared us from the apathy, I mean, you know, Steve's a firefighter. You know, he's been married 20-something years. I mean, he's a solid guy, right? So I think he has a certain vantage point. And for me, I've been fortunate to uh, live in other places and travel somewhat extensively, you know, certainly out of the country and a couple continents. And been able to live other places for years at a time and absorb and compare to the quality of life in Philadelphia, some of the other places I've lived. So I think with the convergence of all of those things that we just thought, why not us? I've seen Steve launch other businesses and go through trials with that. I mean, he's seen me, you know, navigate a 20-something year career in the entertainment business, I think we just felt like, why not us? I think we're both still amazed every day at just how far and fast this is going. But I think every day at some point in the day, if we don't say it, we think it, you know, why not us? You know, why not Philly Truce? We meet great people. I mean, extremely talented people brilliant people every day who volunteer their time and their talents and their hearts and souls to just rolling up their sleeves and helping us move this forward. So 
I think it's just a, a fateful, fateful journey we're on. Going back to the George Floyd protesting, businesses were getting looted, fires were being set. It was a very devastating time in the city. I mean, I know across the country as well, but it seems almost orchestrated, but it really hit me. And I just wanted to say that like my wife, because she saw how intently I was watching the television, which really I don't watch a lot of TV other than basketball or maybe football other than that, you know, TV's all for me. She suggested that I get involved with one of the neighborhood organizations. And to be honest, I couldn't think of any to get involved with. And I, I never saw myself actually being the head of um, not just an organization, but also a startup, an app designed to help the communities, to help the citizens, but also, you know, it is becoming a startup business as well. So I'm like blown away, but I'm saying that to say it was uh, pretty sad that I was not able to find something to do in order to help to use my abilities that similar to how we have provided for others that really want to help. What type of people do I think um, signed up to for the mediator training? I really believe it was people as myself and Mazee that they were sort of at a loss of a place to help that would really be effective and show some type of measurement in terms of the progress that's being made. And I believe that's part of the downfall that this violence prevention arena hasn't grown or kept up with the present time. And that's another great thing this app does is now it brings violence prevention into the Uber and DoorDash and Amazon, all these other um, large scale ways of reaching people. It brings that into the forefront now. We also still need those local organizations and city agencies and most of all, the citizens. So not only does it bring exposure to these people that have been doing this for so many years, also with the citizens, it gives someone a chance to do something that before something new that wasn't there, because I don't want to anyway discount the neighborhood organizations that are in the city and across the country that have been doing this work. But now we can offer a supplement for them to be that much more effective. And together we do this. That's pretty brilliant to think of it as sort of the Uber, the DoorDash of violence mediation. It's so smart. It's such a good idea. And I'm curious to learn more about the mediation. Like, So we talked before about how it kind of works. There's an assessment that's run through to determine whether a mediator could be helpful in mitigating the conflict. Say it's assessed that a mediator is helpful. So does the mediator show up at the scene? Does the mediator like pop up on the phone, on the app? How does that play out? Well, like for example, today we have a team actually curious to find out how it went at three o'clock to meet a woman who used the app on maybe Saturday night, Sunday night. And again, so I'm saying that just to illustrate, th this is not a 911 paced operation, right? So, and, and people are getting that, which is awesome. The woman calls, she says what's going on. Quite a few feuds between quite a few different neighbors. You know, this is her take on it. Okay, tell me a little bit more who's involved. Seems like it's a thing where 
in her mind, half the block is split against the other half, and the point of access is the block captain. So she has her side of the story. So we say to her, well, you got other people who can corroborate this with you, or do you have some people who will come out if we say, okay, let's do a, a block restorative justice circle, right? Let's invite everybody out on the block to air this out. So she said, yeah, I have a few people because we had a few petitions going. So now this, these two women going to go out today and, you know, kind of do an intake form and an intake process. And they'll even see in that, do they see where this woman might benefit from some wraparound services, maybe some therapy, maybe. She has one other issue that we know about for sure that we have to refer out, which is she has a squatter living next door to her in a house that's owned by the housing authority. So that's obviously something beyond our resources, but we should be able to find someone to kind of put some pressure on that process. After today, they'll come back, they'll talk to the director of mediation and, you know, probably me and Steve and, and we'll put a plan of action together. And like, I think we already really discussed in this situation, it's probably going to be like, we put together a date and we're going to say, we're going to have a block restorative justice circle and invite the entire street out, you know, probably door to door, do some kind of robocall, text blast, you know, whatever information we can get from these people. So that's one scenario. Now we got another one going on this week where a single dad kind of in the beef with the the current wife of his ex. Now that's something a little bit more touchy. And these are, there's been talks about, you know, wanting to do something violent and on one side and on the other side, having the capacity and being within his rights to do something violent. So that's going to require a different approach. And right now, as we speak, actually, I just got a call. So I think the kind of second conversation with the gentleman who used the app has taken place. And it's already kind of been determined that he probably does need some wraparound services, maybe some substance abuse counseling. Then it's going to be a balancing act of can we get him to do that? I mean, if he does that, his problems go away almost instantly because he's not going to be available for these interactions with picking up the sun. And, you know, so many ways these things can get cooled off. It's just really important that people continue to do what they're doing and recognize when they're at their breaking points. It's a case by case thing. And it's always about either getting the two, if it's a, a primary and a primary or, you know, getting them to a table and reaching some kind of agreement or, like with the block thing, you know, I think it'll be fairly, uh, I don't want to say easy, but I think once everybody has their opportunity to say their piece and a lot of the steam, I think, will diminish and then hopefully everything can kind of deescalate at least for a time. So those are like some of, you know, at least two of the ways it could go. I just think what you guys are doing is so revolutionary and important. And something I've, you know, kind of frustrates me about the mental health world is I feel like we come up with these ideas and they're so siloed. For people to heal, they have to come to a therapist's office in an office building or like have to go to a psychiatrist's office to get medicine. You're bringing the healing into the community and empowering community members to heal each other. I have a question that I'm curious for both of you. What do you think 
from doing this and just, I don't know, from life, what do you think you've learned when it comes to healing conflict? What's the best way we can heal conflict? I think if people have a place, a means, a resource, an outlet, something where they can be heard and feel heard, I think a lot of the pressure is released. And I feel like a person can talk themselves off of the ledge if they know they have someone they can talk to. It really is about communication. It's really about being able to use your words like they tell kids. It's really that simple. And the more impacted and traumatized a person is, you know, in the way of being unable to use their words, to have emotional uh, literacy or vocabulary, then the closer they are to acting out. And it's really about being able to talk about it. That's what I'm learning. Yes, as um, as he was talking, I was thinking, I just believe um, as a society, we've grown to a point where not controlling our rage has become cool. So at this point, I feel as though that we had to counter that culture of going over the edge because we see it in the movies. We hear it so often in, in music, not just in rap music. Is we've had anger, that's a natural emotion, but now it has been uncontrolled and unmanaged for so long and so many individuals until human beings are followers. We're all going to follow something. I'm a follower. We're all followers. I look at it in terms of changing for people that it, it doesn't take much for them to be pushed over the edge, changing the fact that you still have to stand by your own opinion and have your own way of looking at life in terms of all the other influences that are thrown at us. And particularly for the teens now, they, like, as I mentioned, we're 46 years old. We, we don't have even half of the things that the youth now have to contend with in terms of their decision-making, their viewpoints on life, what seems cool and what's not cool. So, I mean, it's just a a stronger culture of influence that's going on that causes people to act out in ways that normally they wouldn't if they didn't see it uh, so often that this is how people act. And so what do you think, Steve, is the solution to that? Or how do people heal from that? How do people get away from that sort of explosive emotional energy or that being trendy or that being modeled? It's many layers to that. I mean, beginning with the entertainment industry, playing less violent music or on social media. Some of the teens and younger people have been raised on social media in terms of without any type of supervision. So I just think it's a matter of changing how we're moving forward and being responsible and handling technology for one and also 
what the youth or even young adults or even up to adults view as the proper way to address their own anger issues. Because I'm not sure what it's like in Austin, but in Philadelphia, it's, I mean, it's angry people (laughs) everywhere, but I've been fortunate to travel, so I'm not ever living anywhere else. But, you know, it's always nice to get an outlet to go visit other places or cities or, you know, other countries. It's just a level of politeness that isn't always prevalent here. It's a little colder. It's a little more isolated. It's a rat race. So people are, you know, just kind of like caught up in their own heads and you could hold the door for someone and they'll just walk by and don't say thank you or just simple stuff like that is missing. And it all leads to a greater dissipation of human behavior in terms of just being a polite person. So I just think at this point, we really would need to be able to have a healthier dose of what it's like to actually be a a person that have values and morals and on top of other things and in terms of at the core of it, how do we handle our conflicts? Mm -hmm. And it feels like what y'all are doing is connected to that because you're fostering community and connection. And I feel like that sort of community and connection helps hold people accountable to not just, you know, ignore or hurt or spew out pain. Yeah. I think the more you, you know, the more you know a person or the more familiar you are, the harder it is to ignore their pain, right? When you, when you know this people, you know this people. I think we're just very cut off from one another. I think probably nationally, you know what I mean? And I think the other part of it is we have a big, you know, we have like a lust for, for punishment in this country. We always want to see them rot in jail or rot in hell. And I hope they go, you know, it's just like, come on, man. You know, like <laughs> we're at the brink right here from that whole, that whole psychology of punish, punish, punish. It's like, we got to, we got to get some compassion and some mercy. <laughs> and we, you know, I think we're, we're close to, you know, that kind of implosion. I think it's it's been happening in, in different ways. But, you know, America going to have to hit, hit a few more bottoms, I think, before we really start thinking in a collective conscious kind of way, like, man, we, we got to try some different stuff here, you know. And uh, I do believe some of it will age out of and evolve out of, but we definitely have to, you know, have to help usher it in as well. You know, it's it's just it's kind of a trip the way uh, how hell bent we are on certain you know retribution and stand your ground and all this kind of stuff. And it's like you know, man, we're all out here living, making mistakes. You know, you pay the price for some stuff. You know, hopefully you can get on with your life. But you know, the the punishment factor in America is a big part of I think what trickles down to the neighborly discontent you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's you know we got we just gotta spread some love that's all we just gotta spread some love and keep spreading love and you know that's all you can really do so interesting because i've because of this podcast i've talked to so many people that are 
you know, creating really cool stuff like y'all. And it always seems to come back to this idea of like, we need more compassion and we need more empathy and we need to admit to our mistakes and just connect with each other over that. There needs to be a media PR campaign where it's cool to be vulnerable and it's cool to ask for help and it's cool to admit I'm not perfect and I need someone's support. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's part of the stuff we build into. We have a few ads and uh, television spots ready to go. We just very plainly show people in the scenarios where we know at least for the African-American community in Philadelphia, they will certainly identify with them and the situations. And it kind of just says like, yo, now's a good time to use that app. You know what I mean? Like, because really is we asking you to consider letting us as your neighbors help you. I mean, that's really, and you know, what's funny is people are getting it. Some in the very beginning, people were like, huh? Like what? You're going to pull this app out in the gunfight? Like what? They were just like, but now we like, no, you call us before that. We don't think that either. You know what I mean? Just think about if you might want to steer this person in a different direction, you know, before they have to deal with the police. You know, the people that have used it are like really grateful when like when I hang up from talking with them, like the first encounter, they're like really appreciative because Mm -hmm. it really is like at least on the first call, especially they're like they're flushing the toilet. You know, they letting everything out. And it's just like, whoa, each one of those calls for me has been like an hour. And there's mostly me just listening to them. Ah, and I did this and I went over there and they didn't help me. And I called this guy 20 times and I got this on videotape and the police came and they didn't do this. And, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, it's almost 2 million people here. You know, what percentage of them feel like that? You know what I mean? You're like doing therapy. It's, It's definitely therapy. It definitely is. It's definitely an element of therapy to this for sure. It's amazing what you guys are doing. If people want to learn more about the two of you individually, want to learn more about Philly Truce, where do you recommend they go or check out? Oh, please go to phillytruce.com and we gladly accept donations there. We really could use financial support if people in the Philadelphia area or even beyond interested in becoming mediators because you can, you know, take a call from anywhere and, and have a conversation. They can send us a message, phillytruce at Gmail and say, I want to be a mediator. If you want to get the app, you can go to the app store or the play store and, uh, check it out. You can also uh, request to become a mediator there on the app and we'll explain to you the process. And, um, you know, if nothing else, spread the word. If you're listening outside of the Philadelphia area, but you have family or relatives or friends back East, you know, let them know. So, uh, phillytruce.com. And if you're on social media, we're phillytruce on every platform. So, you know, we could always use the support and the mentions and the follows and all of that good stuff to spread the word. I'm so excited to watch how this app progresses, how the program are developing expands to other cities and to other spaces. It's just awesome what you guys have done. And I just want to say thanks 
for being here today for the good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your time so much and appreciate both of you as human beings and what you're contributing to the world. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Heal With It, a podcast brought to you by Camille Breslin and me, Maytal Eyal. Please listen and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Heal With It Podcast. Audio engineering for Heal With It was done by Camille Breslin and Miles Mercer. Original music by Miles Mercer. Creative direction by Eric Fletes. Art and illustration by Alexander Bustamante, Mercedes Llanos, and Samantha Mash.